everybody, welcome to the export. I'm Raven X, and alongside me, as always, is Biggie, aka Ethan Tate, aka somebody who is just celebrated his birth. The wife, ugh, I can't even talk. His wife's birthday yesterday, so happy birthday to Aiden. Hoping she has many more. Um, and other news uh, that took place this past Thursday, the Los Angeles Lakers unveiled the first of what will be three Kobe Bryant's. Uh, statues that will be outside of crypto.com arena aka the house that Kobe built because crypto.com is so stupid but I'm sure you got to see the statue what were your thoughts on it and uh what do you think the next two are going to end up being because we know one is going to be him in the 24 jersey and the next is going to be uh him and Gigi oh surprise I haven't seen it yet you haven't seen it no don't worry I got you I can send it to you right now um, but in the mean in between time, uh, just so you will have like a little background. So they did, well, actually Kobe Bryant picked it out and it was a dedication of, um, the 81 point game. It's him walking off the court when he holds up his, like the one it's from that. So highly recommend looking at it. It's, uh, it's pretty awesome. Um, but yeah, Aiden's birthday, happy birthday to her. Happy you got to spend some family time. And uh, like you just mentioned before we got on the show, Law and Order. So while you look at that, though, Cody Rhodes, Roman Reigns, The Rock, you said you think it's going to end up being a triple threat. In a perfect world, what do you want to see happen at WrestleMania? In a perfect world, I I don't I would want to see a triple threat between Cody, Roman, and The Rock. Obviously, I want Cody to come out on top. And then from the other, the world heavyweight side of it all, I would somehow either say Seth versus maybe Drew. I don't, I personally don't want to see that because they've done it already. But Seth versus somebody, and if they let Seth win, Damian Priest cashes in and finally gets the title. That's real. Um, for me, I'll say with the Roman situation, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I don't want to see The Rock in another wrestling match. I get it. He is an icon and it is very nostalgic. But just because something is nostalgic does not mean it's going to be good. And Roman is great, but is Roman great enough to carry The Rock, who was already at his best, solid in the ring, to a great match 20 plus years later? I'm not buying it. So I'd much rather see Cody versus Roman. The bloodline fan in me obviously wants to see Roman come out on top, but I'm also very interested to see what would happen if like Cody was to win. Cause like, okay, the story's finished now. What? So I'm in two different schools of thought on that. Cause I mean, you could, you could potentially like the thought process is the story is over. But me and you have talked about it several times before. Like, Roman, could, they could still push this whole tribal chief thing and then make it to where you incorporate Solo. And then Roman and Solo fight for the role of tribal chief, which then would equal them getting, like, a shot at Cody's title. Yeah. Which sign me up. Like, honestly, if I was booking it, obviously it's not going to happen, but I would want Solo versus Roman at WrestleMania. Again, I know it's not going to happen. Don't come for me. 
But I think that that's eventually a story that's going to be told just because, like, we've seen it over the past couple years. Like, whenever Roman bucks up with the Usos or Jimmy or Paul Heyman, he never has necessarily that same energy with Solo. He always knows to chill out when it comes to Solo because Solo is that enforcer. Do I think at this moment Solo would beat Roman? Absolutely not. But I think it'd be interesting to see those two go head to head and kind of see how the power dynamics potentially shift. Yeah, it's also weird the way that they do that because, like, I know Solo, the quote-unquote enforcer, but if I'm not mistaken, Roman bigger than Solo. He's tall. Yeah, he's taller than uh, Solo. Solo might weigh more, though. I think that I'm basing off their build weights. If I'm not mistaken, they list Solo as 255 and they list Roman as 265. Who you think weighs more for real? Cause like we know they kind of BS that. I think if anything, I think they weigh the same. They just carry it differently because they their bills are different. Yeah, they're different body types. I don't know. I'll say it like this. I think that if in terms of their gimmicks, I think that Solo does fit more the enforcer. Like he doesn't do too much talking. He lets his hands do all the talking and like that to me is more intimidating than Roman, who's kind of like you know, the mob boss, he's at the head of the table, as we all know, and, like, he's, like, giving out orders and then will rarely step in when he needs to, when he feels challenged. So, like, looking at their gimmicks, it makes sense that Solo would do it, but, like, I I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. But, yeah, WrestleMania be fun. Elimination Chamber is in three weeks, and um, we'll see if I stay up till 5 o'clock in the morning to watch it because the answer to that is probably going to be no. Uh, we got a cool show for you guys today. Obviously, we are going to recap the NFL honors and discuss what the NFL got right and what the NFL got wrong. And then we're going to do a breakdown of the Super Bowl before ultimately making our final uh, game predictions for the 2023-2024 season, a.k.a. what feels to me the fastest season I've ever watched. Um and then we're going to talk the biggest winners and losers of the NBA trade deadline. Before we get to any of that, please sure check out the export.net. I repeat the export.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. So we're going to kick this one off with our college football player spotlight. Last week, we kind of talked about the players in the East-West Shrine game and the um, Senior Bowl that we were keeping an eye out, these different prospects. And so now that the games took place, um, Ethan, I don't know if you got a chance to watch or look at any of the stats, but were there any guys from the East-West Shrine game or the Senior Bowl that stood out to you? I watched, like, maybe the first drive of the Shrine Bowl. Oh, you guys see Frank Gore TD? Well, Frank Gore Jr.'s yeah, TD? Yeah, yeah that's, that's what stood out to me. Is like, didn't he go, like, 75 yards? Mm, something like that. I think it was, like, 60-something. Yeah, but that stood out to me. And then I didn't get a chance to watch any of the Senior Bowl at all. Uh, I, from what I heard, um, some of the quarterbacks didn't look as good as they um, – as people hope that they look like, I think Michael Penix didn't look so look too great. And I think Bo Nix didn't look really great, but I didn't really get a chance to like dive into either, either one of those ball games. Yeah. So unfortunately, um, Penix ended up not playing, um, which I was kind of bummed out cause I did want to see him play. Bo Nix played fine. He had a touchdown. Um, Sam Hartman looked kind of mad. Same for Michael Pratt. Like, 
I'll get to, well, I'll just do senior bowl first. Probably the person, the player who stood out to me the most was Spencer Rattler, a South Carolina quarterback. I mean, he's a guy who a couple years ago, there was talks about him potentially being a first overall pick when he was at Oklahoma. Obviously things didn't work out there. He transfers uh, to South Carolina. And though they didn't have a great year, he put up some solid numbers. And I think coming into this um, quarterback, or at least into the senior bowl, he was probably one of the quarterbacks that I think I had overlooked just because, I mean, we already know Bo Nix, Michael Penix, uh, Michael Pratt has had some really good years. Sam Hartman has kind of been a vet. And so I was interested to see what Spencer Rattler was going to look like just because, I mean, he was a guy who has so much hype, but it never seemed to really live up to it. And instead, he played really well, um, was the offensive MVP uh, on the first drive of the game, went four for four for 65 yards with a touchdown. He looked really poised. And, I mean, we talked about this a bit last week. Like, the top three quarterbacks of this draft are pretty much solidified. You may argue between two and three, or maybe even one, depending on who you are. But, like, we pretty much have an idea. Caleb Williams, Drake May, Jaden Daniels are going to be the first three quarterbacks off the board. And then after that, I could see it being – a bit jumbled. So I think that if Spencer Rattler is able to build off this senior bowl and have a good combine and interviews and pro days, he could potentially talk himself into being maybe, I don't know if he'll be the fourth quarterback taken, but I could definitely see him like possibly in the conversation for it. Um, just because it's a lot of unknowns with the other guys that we mentioned. Um, and then the East West Shrine game, Show some love to Memphis running back uh, Blake Watson. Had over 111 total yards offense. Could have had more, but he ended up taking a knee on like the last one of the last plays of the game that really could have been a touchdown. Um, he showed his versatility at Memphis, which a lot of running backs do. Um, showed really good hands, great out in space, good runner. Like I, I was excited to see him do, and I think that the tradition of Memphis pushing out NFL running backs is going to live on with Blake Watson. RBU. I'm trying to tell you. But all right, uh, no games to recap or anything, so we're going to just skip ahead to some news, uh, starting with the retirement of former Ravens and Tampa Bay Buccaneers center Ryan Jensen. He's announced his retirement after eight NFL seasons. He had to miss this last season due uh, to complications following a knee surgery that made him miss a lot of the season before. So sucks to see him go. Was a big Ryan Jensen fan, um, but... Hopefully, he wish him all the best. Uh, looking at the coaching carousel, the Giants have found their new defense coordinator, hiring Shane Bowen, who was previously the defensive coordinator for the Tennessee Titans. Uh, the Cowboys have also found their new D.C., um, hiring Mike Zimmer, former head coach of the Minnesota Vikings, to lead their defense. The Baltimore Ravens, after losing Mike McDonald to the, the Seattle Seahawks, have promoted former player and former inside linebacker coach Zach Orr to the defensive coordinator position. If y'all don't know who Zach Orr is, hell of a player. He played, he was in the league three, undrafted rookie, played three years. In his third year, he was an all-pro, and then he had to medically retire because, like, a spinal injury that, like, could have left him paralyzed, which sucked, but I'm happy to see that he's with Baltimore and in this position. Um, moving on to the offensive side of the ball, the Washington Commanders have hired Cliff Kingsbury as their new offensive coordinator, and he will be working under Dan Quinn, who has been announced as the commander's new head coach. Obviously, there's ties between Kingsbury and Caleb Williams, so people are speculating that might have been a reason why Cliff and might have taken the Washington job. But I'm going to be real with you. I can live with Cliff Kingsbury. I don't necessarily like Dan Quinn as Washington's new head coach. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think... Cause didn't he get a, before he became the DC at Dallas? Didn't he have a head coach? Yeah, he somewhere? he was the head coach at Atlanta for the infamous twenty eight three game Super Bowl. 
Yeah, so I don't like that move. Uh, again, I can live with the Cliff Kingsbury being the OC. It is what it is. A part of me is still like, hey, in my, a part of like my mind, it ran across my mind of like, hey, you know, people are quote unquote comparing Caleb Williams to Patrick Mahomes. Would it make sense to have Patrick Mahomes OC there if you want to draft him? Yeah. Which is crazy to think Eric Bieniemy might not have a job this year. Which is crazy to think. It's wild to think. Like, but yeah, like to me, it's, I get you want to bring in your people, but it's like, this is the guy that for the early part of arguably right now the best quarterback in the NFL's career. Oh, you think it's and arguable? Guy, some people might argue it. I'm not arguing. I also just don't like Patrick Mahomes, so I got to get him some shade. That's fair. That's fair. But, like, it, this is the guy that was calling and plays and developing him early in his career. And, like, if you're looking to bring in a quarterback, he is a guy, at least in my opinion, that's going to be on the top of the list of people that I would want to bring in. Yeah, agree. And I mean, a lot of the jobs are filled up. At this very moment, I don't have, like, a list of open OC positions. But, I mean, it is kind of crazy to think that, wow, he's he didn't get a job. Um, but, yeah, I'm kind of going back to the Dan Quinn thing. I think why I don't really like it is because it just feels like you already had that situation with Ron Rivera. You just had a defensive coach who it didn't work out with. And, sure, you can put better coaches around them. Sure, you can possibly, you know, try to make – the team overall better you know what I mean just by adding more talent but it still feels like and no disrespect to Dan Quinn but it's like as a head coach he wasn't that impressive like the best year he had was that year with that Atlanta went to the Super Bowl and Matt Ryan won MVP but Julio Jones isn't walking through that door tomorrow neither is Matt Ryan even if you draft somebody it's going to take time to develop and if you feel like you know you have the guy you know um if you feel like you have the right people around to develop your rookie quarterback because let's be honest, it's not going to be uh, Sam Howell. Okay, cool. But I just feel like I just don't necessarily like the move. And I'm not even saying they would have been better off getting an offensive-minded coach, but I do think that I just feel like it could have been a better – I feel like there were better options out there than Dan Quinn. And Mike I'm sorry, what you say? I just shouted out Mike Rabel. Yeah, oh, 100%. 100%. But, I mean, I get it. It didn't happen. But, I don't know. I just personally feel like we we, we could have did a little bit better. You know, we could have did better. But I, I'll be interested to see how it all works out. I mean, I think that because he has worked with such talented players in Dallas, like, I think that – I'll say this. I think Washington's defense is going to be better. And I think they're going to invest heavily into that, you know, into that group. Do I think that this means that they're all of a sudden just going to be like this remarkable unit? No. Do I think that this offense is still going to hold them back? Yeah, probably. But just as of right now, I can live with it. Uh, but all right, let's go ahead and move on to the uh, NFL honors. And we're going to discuss the big award, individual award winners, and uh, whether or not we agree with those decisions or not. All right, and so we're going to start off with assistant coach of the year. That award ended up going to... Uh, uh, defensive coordinator for the Cleveland Browns, 
uh, Jim Schwartz. He was up against fellow assistant coaches Mike McDonald, Baltimore Ravens defensive coordinator Todd Monk, and Baltimore Ravens offensive coordinator Ben Johnson, the offensive coordinator for the Detroit Lions. Um, let's so let's start there. Do and Bobby Slowick, the offensive coordinator for the Houston Texans, was Jim Schwartz the right choice? No. I would have either went with any other guys in Baltimore or I would have went Ben Johnson. I agree. I We're going to get to a lot of Brown stuff, and Browns fans probably going to think I'm a hater, but, like, I, underst- I can understand Jim Schwartz winning because their defense played very well, especially because they went through a lot of injuries. However, if you have the defensive coordinator of the best defense in the league, and I'm not being biased, look at the numbers, or an offense that despite not having a crazy amount of talent, and speaking of Detroit, but like, but was still one of, if not the most productive offense overall. Oh, Jim Schwartz? Like, Jim Schwartz changed the culture. That I will give him. But should he have won it? I don't know. I would have went Mike McDonald, or like you said, Ben Johnson. Like, to go to the Mike McDonald of it all, Let's just look at the playoffs. If I'm not mistaken, I saw the stat. During the playoffs, the Ravens held their opponents to 15 points a game. Yes. And mind you, the Texans only scored a field goal. Yeah. So really, what, 17 plus? They really only allowed 10 points a game. Yes. Like, they should definitely – Mike McDonald should have definitely won that award. Yeah. The only reason why I think maybe he didn't win it was because, um, was because, uh, I guess, because he ended up becoming a head coach. And I think that might have sullied people's opinion. That's the only thing I can think of why he didn't win it. Um, keeping on the coaching tip, though, Coach of the Year went to Browns head coach Kevin Stefanski in one of the closest races. He and D'Amico Ryans both finished with 165 points, but Kevin Stefanski got the nod because he had one more first-place vote. Do you agree with that choice? Nope. It should have been D'Amico Ryans. I understand all the injuries and stuff that the Browns went through, but you're telling me a rookie head coach took a team that, if I'm not mistaken, the previous year was 2-15, and 15, and made it, won the division and made it to the playoffs, the uh, division around of the playoffs, it got to be D'Amico. Agreed. And I'll give Kevin Stefanski his flowers. I mean, he had four different quarterbacks, still managed to make the playoffs. That's admirable. Props to you. Clap, clap. D'Amico Ryan's 100% should have got coach of the year. Um, the Browns uh, train keeps rolling as it's still very weird for me to say this. Browns quarterback Joe Flacco won comeback player of the year, uh, beating out DeMar Hamlin, Baker Mayfield, Matthew Stafford, and Tua Tungavailoa. Personally, I my personal winner would have been Matthew Stafford. I think he had a more impressive year out of everybody. Um, but I get it. Joe Flacco came off the couch, was the best quarterback the Browns had all season and helped lead them to a playoff push. So this one, I don't have much argument with. Nah, I don't either. Uh, another, uh, I know we skipped, we went past this already, but another thing, D'Amico Ryan's beat Kevin Stefanski in the playoffs. Oh, beat him bad. Beat him bad. Oh. It wasn't close. So like, 
that also, and, and for my tip, that also plays a part. No, I feel you. And I mean, all, so apparently um, these votes and stuff were decided um, after the regular season, which uh, still, I'm still more impressed by D'Amico Ryans because say what you want, he won that division. And whatever, it's fine. Uh, next up, we have Defensive Rookie of the Year, which went to Texans defensive end Will Anderson. He beat out Jalen Carter, Kobe Turner, Devin Witherspoon, and Joey Porter Jr. Do you agree with this? Yeah. I mean, he was the best rookie defensive player this year. Jalen Carter showed great flashes, but I don't think he had enough consistent playing time because he had the share snaps. Joey Porter, I love him. Lockdown. I think he's going to be the next up at the cornerback position. He had a he was a little too handsy, had a couple penalties, like holding penalties that I think might have messed him up. But Will Anderson was just like that dude. Yeah, I don't have much issue with this either. Will Anderson definitely, to me, was the most consistent defensive rookie. And I think that plays a role, even with injuries. I mean, we talked about this, I don't even remember what game it was. Uh, but it was the game, he only played 11 snaps and had two sacks. Yeah. I mean, that that's pretty freaking impressive. Um, so, yeah, I agree with Will Anderson. Kobe Turner, shout out to him. He led all rookies in sacks, actually, but I mean... Everybody knows no matter what, that defense belongs to Aaron Donald, but I, I did want to give Kobe Turner some love because he had a great year as well. All right, Offensive Rookie of the Year went to C.J. Stroud. He beat out Puka Nakua, Sam Laporta, Jameer Gibbs, and B. John Robinson. I have no argument with this whatsoever. Me neither. Yeah, like, it, I'll say this. It, like, flip a coin, Puka or C.J., the quarterback's going to win every time, but yeah. All right. Now to something I know that we both disagree with, but defensive player of the year went to Brown's defensive end, Miles Garrett. He beat out TJ Watt, Micah Parsons, Max Crosby, and Deron Bland. Why don't you agree with this? Because we already talked about this off air. Because TJ Watt is the best defensive player in the NFL. Stats included and just impact on the game included. Like, if you look at the Steelers season, you can say without a shadow of a doubt, it's two games that they won this season. They won just because of T.J. Watt. It's one game against Cleveland when he had, when that, he had uh, a touchdown. Fumble recovery for a touchdown, yeah. Fumble recovery for a touchdown. And then it's another game where I think he had another defensive TD himself. Like, he won the, like, he won the Steelers games by himself on the defensive side of the football. And, like, Miles Garrett has an immense impact. But like I I from as of my knowledge, I can't look up and say like, oh, this is a game where I can say Miles Garrett won the Browns this game because of his defensive impact. Miles Garrett, I'll say this. If it wasn't gonna be TJ Watt, I can live with Miles Garrett. Should Miles Garrett have won it? No. You talked about like just impact, like which is a hundred percent right, but also if you look at the numbers, it's like yeah. It, it, it's not pretty. Like, Miles Garrett had 14 sacks. That's tied for seventh in the league. That's fine. TJ Watt had 19 sacks. They both have four forced fumbles. TJ Watt had 19 tackles for loss. Miles Garrett had 17. Not exactly the biggest difference, but the numbers that stick out to me the most is in the final, what, six games of the regular season, Miles Garrett only had one sack. No, I lied. 
he had, yeah, no, in the final five games of the regular season, he only had one sack. One. TJ had more than that in one game. No, literally, in the Baltimore game, he had two. And he got hurt that game. And I was, that's what I was about to say. If he would have never gotten hurt, when you were raised fan, I know you, you can be unbiased with this. He would have gotten a third sack. Oh, 100%. Oh, I, look. Y'all, everybody know how I feel about the Steelers. I love me some T.J. Watt. I think T.J. Watt, I agree with you. I think he's the best defensive player in the league. And just for comparison's sake, in the final five games, Miles Garrett had five, I mean, one sack. We could say, including the playoff game, he still only had one sack. T.J. Watt in the final five had five sacks with two games with two sacks. So... Y'all look at that how you want to. But, you know, Miles Garrett is still a great player. I'm not saying he's not. But should he have won it over T.J. Watt? Hell no. All right. Offensive player of the year went to Christian McCaffrey. He beat out Tyreek Hill, CeeDee Lamb, Lamar Jackson, and Dak Prescott. Another one I have no issue with. Yeah, nah. Yeah. And then last but certainly not least, for the second time in his career, Lamar Jackson is a MVP of the league. He beat out Dak Prescott, Christian McCaffrey, Brock Purdy, and Josh Allen. I'll give you one guess. He was one vote away from being a unanimous MVP. Who do you think that other vote went to? Josh Allen. Yep. And you want to know who that person voted, what position they voted Lamar Jackson to? What? Third. Foes really do be hating on Lamar. That's crazy. I have no issue with this, um, <laughs> obviously, but <laughs> wow. I, I, not even just the hating on Lamar. It's just like the Josh Allen of it all. Like, y'all want Josh Allen to be the golden boy so bad. They really do. Good like, gosh. Like, I'm going to be real with you. If the Bills ever win a Super Bowl, I'm not watching any sports media for like the next, almost the next month. Because I feel like it's just going to be people, like, riding his meat the whole week. Oh, for sure. Because they already love to do it. And now this would really give them incentive to do it. This would only give them more of a reason to want to do it. But, uh, yeah, so those are award winners. And now let's talk to the big piece, the uh, what a lot of football players like to call the football heaven. Um, as the 2024 Hall of Fame class was introduced – before we get into this, just know that all these players are great. But you and I both agree. <laughs> Some of these were kind of, mm. uh, Starting off with Devin Hester, wide receiver, but obviously he's more known as a kick returner. Uh, former Texans and Colts and Titans wide receiver Andre Johnson. Dwight Freeney, former Colt Charger. Well, screw it. He was known for being a Colt, and he was a damn good one. Uh, edge rusher, another defensive end, Julius Peppers. Patrick Willis, former linebacker, and Steve McMichael, defensive tackle, and Randy Grash, Bradishar, linebacker. Honestly, the last two, I don't, I wasn't allowed to watch them play. They played in the '80s, so I really got nothing to say. But let's just break down the the ones that we were allowed to witness. Devin Hester, do you agree that he should have made it to the Hall of Fame? Absolutely, it's about time. Yeah, I don't I don't have an issue with him in it. I think I'm just more upset with the people who didn't make it. Yeah. Um, all right, next up, Andre Johnson. I said this to you off the show, off air. 
Andre Johnson is great, and I have a lot of respect for Andre Johnson. But there's no way in hell he should have made over Reggie Wayne. No reason. I, I agree. I mean, I'm a big Andre Johnson fan for his on-the-field production and the fact that he got Corlin Finnegan hands. One of my all-time favorite football moments ever. But he definitely shouldn't have made it over um, Reggie Wayne. I got to um, I got to talk to Reggie Wayne. So once it was announced he was a finalist, like obviously he did a media scrum. And he was asked, you know, what sets you apart from the other receivers who are finalists? It was him, Torrey Holt, and Andre Johnson. And he was like, my playoff production. I perform when it mattered. I put forth a season worth of numbers just in the playoffs. And he said, you know, some people will probably bring up that I had more playoff opportunities. And he was like, I'm sorry your team sucked. And I think it feels to me Reggie Wayne is being punished for the team that he'd had. Like his team was good, but I think that you can't discount what he did in the playoffs when the lights were on bright. I understand with the Texans, it's not like Andre Johnson had that many opportunities. Torrey Holt had those years with the Rams early, but didn't really get to see the playoffs much after that. But not having Reggie in the hall of fame is just insane to me. That's that's wild. Like, and and Ben, Complete being completely honest in my mind, if you're an individual that raises your level of play in the playoffs, that should grant you that should put you in a better position to make the Hall of Fame. One thousand percent. One thousand percent. But because to me, when when I think about when I think about like Hall of Fame slash elite level players, is obviously they're good during the regular season, but when it's time to really produce and play in the playoffs you either play, still play great or you play above the level of greatness that you played in the regular season. That's what I think of as a Hall of Fame. Yeah, 1,000%. And I understand not everybody gets that opportunity. Like, Joe Thomas was with the Browns forever. He never played a playoff game. Does that discredit his greatness? No, absolutely not. He's still one of the greatest left tackles of a generation. But, yeah. All right, uh, Dwight Freeney. I obviously agree. I think Dwight Freeney was the man. Now it's just time to get Robert Mathis in there, too. Oh, yeah. Dwight Freeney was the guy. I remember, uh, like I said, so my the, my second ever Super Bowl I ever watched was the Super Bowl versus the Bears. Uh, I forgot what year that was. 06. Yeah, so 06. And I, and I was still new to football because, like, the only other football game I had ever watched was the Super Bowl prior to that, the Seahawks and Steelers. So, like, I was new to football. I liked it, but I ain't know much. But I remember, like, from that point, like, I remember that Robert Mathis, Dwight Freeney, and Bob Sanders, like, their defense was, like, those three players were insane. Yeah. Back in the day when I was a Colts fan, like, Robert Mathis and Dwight Freeney with the spin. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Like, I can't. What a what a time! When I played, when I played, so I, after that Super Bowl, I played. That's when I started to play football. I was doing, I did the spin move because I saw Dwight Freeney do it. And nobody does it better. I'll argue that point down. Nobody has a prettier spin move in football than Dwight Freeney. So I'm very happy for him. Well earned. Um, Julius Peppers, I think he's earned it. I have no issue with this one. No, what's up? Uh, Patrick Willis, I'm a little shocked. 
that it came this early, but I mean, you watch Patrick Willis play. I know he didn't play that long, but man, he was so good. I'm not from from a personal standpoint. I'm not shocked because it was like for me, like I said when I first got into football, my favorite player was Ray Lewis, and then Ray retired. And then it was like, ah, uh, Pat Willis, like, next up the linebacker. So, I'm happy he in it. Yeah. Patrick Willis and Navarro Bowman are still one of my all-time favorite linebacker duos. Like, I know Navarro Bowman will never be considered one of the greatest, but those two work so well together. It was it was beautiful. Um, but, all right. Uh, so, here were some guys who ended up not making it. Jared Allen, former defensive end. Uh, Antonio Gates, tight end. This was the first year he was eligible. Rodney Harrison, uh, safety. Fred Taylor, running back. Of those guys, anybody that uh, you surprised they didn't make it? I'll say Antonio Gates because I'm shocked. Yeah, I was going to say Antonio Gates too. For personal reasons, just because I love the Pivot Podcast, I would have wanted Freddie T to make it because I thought it would. I think it would have been dope to be able to like give him his flowers throughout their, like, popularity of their podcast. But I understand it. Yeah, agreed. Um, but, all right, let's go ahead and move on to a group of players who are hoping to be immortalized themselves. Let's talk the Super Bowl. 49ers and Chiefs, second time in the past four years we are getting this matchup. And as we like to do with playoff games and these big game fields, we're going to go into a bit of a deep dive. And so let's start off with just a holistic view what is the biggest lesson that you learned about each team this season, starting with the 49ers? With the 49ers, the biggest lesson that I will say is I think they, as the season progressed, they started to overcome some of those lumps that they had, like losing to y'all um, in a big game. Because, I mean, when you think about it, even with Kyle Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan has never been known to be a guy that comes back from leagues, um, from being down behind. And in the two playoffs games that they won, they came down from kind of some decent deficits. So I think they have, like, a different level of resolve that they didn't have um, before. That's real. I would say all the Brock Purdy discourse is pointless. Like, I understand, like, the Cam Newton of it all. Like, initially calling him a game manager. Okay, sure, whatever. And then going on to say he's the 10th best player on the team. And then people trying to say, Brock Purdy's this, Brock Purdy's that. At the end of the day, the 49ers are winning. So who cares? Like, I would understand if Brock Purdy was playing bad. Like, like he had some bad games. Don't get me wrong. That Ravens game was bad. The Browns game was bad. The Vikings game. But every quarterback has bad games. But what matters the most to me, really with any position group, but especially a quarterback, is my good games outweigh my bad. And for the, what, three bad games Brock Purdy had that were, like, definitively bad, there's so many more games where he just took over. That Eagles game is the first one that comes to mind. He went crazy that game. Um, the matchups against the Cardinals, obviously, because they're the Cardinals, but just the division game, when they beat the Rams, he played well. Just the games that... The games that he's supposed to look good in, for the most part, he did his job. And so you can rank him however you want to. You can call him whatever you want to. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because this guy, Brock Purdy, is in the Super Bowl. But these other guys who are supposed to be heads and shoulders better than them, just looking at the NFC, 
He's in there over Jalen Hurts. He's in there over Dak Prescott. He's in there over Jared Goff. He's in there over Kirk Cousins. He's in there over so many other guys. So at the end of the day, who cares? He got the job done, and a lot of other people didn't. In fact, 15 other quarterbacks in that same conference didn't get the job done. But all right, what about the Chiefs? What is the biggest lesson that you learned about them? As much as it pains me to say, you can never count them out. Um, throughout this whole playoff run, and it's recorded on this podcast, I picked the Chiefs to lose every game that they participated in. And what did they do? They found a way to win. Um, so that's my biggest piece is you, you, you can never count them out. Yeah, same, honestly, same thing. Now, last year, it kind of felt like we got this lesson before, but it was more so like about Patrick Mahomes because when Tyreek Hill got traded, everybody was like, well, what's Patrick Mahomes going to look like? What's he going to do? Oh, nothing, just win MVP and win another Super Bowl. And this year, it felt like the team, let's be honest, the offense never really looked great. Like, the defense played well. They were one of the better defenses in the league, but the offense just couldn't look meh. But at the end of the day, it didn't matter because they still play well together and they stepped up when it mattered in the playoffs. And so I think it's just, like you said, like you cannot count out the Chiefs as much as we want to, as much as it's fun to like not root for the great team, the team that's perpetually great. We just see time and time again, you can't count these guys out. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to why each team will win. So once the game is all said and done, if the 49ers come out on top, why do you think that is? Because they have so many weapons on offense. Um, for the Brock Purdy slanders of it all, um, kind of like you said, like he does his job and he does his job well. Like his good games outweigh his bad. But when you look at the offensive side of the ball for the 49ers, they're loaded everywhere. They have Christian McCaffrey. They have Debo Samuel. They have Brandon Ayuk. They have George Kittle. Like, in my mind, if you get, like, a good Brock Purdy, they, like, the only weakness they have is the O-line. But from just a skill position standpoint, they have no weakness. Agree. That's also mine. I mean, I think that the stars will come out to play in order for them to win. Debo, whether it's like the game he rolled up to against Philly with the Black Forces, if he has a crazy game like that, or Brandon Ayuk just continues to make crazy catches, or George Kittle being George Kittle, Christian McCaffrey just taking over. I think if all those pieces are clicking on all cylinders, or even three out of the four, that's a recipe for success against damn near any defense. All right, what about the Chiefs? If they win the game, what do you think is going to be the biggest reason why? The biggest reason why, in my opinion, it's a two-folder. One is Patrick Mahomes making plays when that needs to be made. And two, their defense slowing down that dynamic 49ers offense. Um, when you look at the path they took in the playoffs, they went against the Bills, who, yes, they didn't have the greatest game against the Bills offense, but when they needed to make a play, they were able to make their play. And then when you look at the game against the Ravens, they were able to slow down their high-power offense. Um, their defense is battle-tested, um, and I think that could be that could be the biggest reason. It's like when they need to make plays, the defense will make those plays. 
Agreed. Um, I'm gonna say something. I'm gonna say their killer instinct kicks in, and I think, like you said, it's kind of twofold. Like we've seen those situations where the Chiefs have had their backs against the wall, and the way that Patrick Mahomes has led this offense to say composed and poised has been beautiful. Like, even if it's not just Travis Kelsey, if it is maybe MVS making a play or even Justin Watson or Noah Gray, guys who, like, casual football fans have no clue who I'm talking about, but still finding ways to get them the ball because everybody and their mama know that Travis Kelsey is going to be his top target. And then defensively, like you said, like, it may not have been perfect against Buffalo and Baltimore, but at the end of the day, like, their defense still managed to get the job done. And they forced their both of those offenses into positions where they had long third downs that they had to cover. Like, they were getting consistent pressure. They were doing a really, really good job, again, because they know what's at stake. And because they know how much is at stake, I can see that playing a really big role in them taking over and getting the dub. Um, so, all right. Now, on the flip side of that, if the 49ers lose this game, what do you think will be the biggest reason why? I think it's going to be their O-line play. Um, outside of Trent Williams, they really don't have any like great offensive lines. And going up against guys like Chris Chris Jones, George Karloftis, um, you know, they could potentially blitz their linebackers if they aren't able to, like, hold it up. I think that's going to be the reason they, they lose. Um, you touched on this a little bit ago when you talked about the biggest lesson you learned about the 49ers. Um, but I think that they find themselves in another double-digit hole and they're not able to come back from that. Like, in both of their uh, previous playoff games, they came back from double digits down. And no disrespect to the Lions or the Packers, but they don't have Patrick Mahomes as their quarterback. And we've seen the Chiefs are an offense, especially because they're the 49ers defense hasn't been that all all that impressive the past couple of games. But we've seen time and time again, like if Patrick Mahomes, he's not exactly the guy who's gonna take the foot off the gas. In my recent memory, I can't think of a game that they blew a double digit lead. I'm sure it might have happened, but I don't remember. And it's just because this team, and more specifically, Andy Reid coaches this team so well that they're not just going to make silly decisions that are going to end up ultimately costing them games. And so because of that, I could see the 49ers kind of struggling with that because let's say they do have some mistakes, they find themselves in a hole. I have a hard time believing that they're going to be able to claw their way back just because of the quality of their opponent. And so alternatively for the Chiefs, why do you think that if they lose, why do you think that would be the case? I think... They're, if they lose, I think it's another two two folder. I think they lose partially because of the weapons, the weapons of the 49ers. Like their defense is good, but because they have so many weapons, it's kind of hard to potentially make them one dimensional. Because it's like, okay, you shut down. Let's say you shut down the pass. You gotta you gotta try to stop Christian McCaffrey, who can hurt you in a multitude of ways. Let's say you do slow down uh, Christian McCaffrey, then, okay, now it's like you have to stop Debo, stop Brandon Ayuk, and George Kittle. Like, it's not one person that you can just really key in on for the 49ers. And I think this um, is that are the outside of, you mentioned it, outside of Travis Kelsey, are the other guys on the Chiefs going to be able to step up and make those plays? Like, they've made them these past couple of games in the playoffs, but is their trend going to continue? 
to where it's like, are we going to get a MVS making a key catch, or are we going to get a Noah Gray making the key grab? Um, Isaiah Pacheco, like if he's going to be the guy that the defense focuses in on, is he going to be a guy that could potentially get 90 to 100 plus yards on the ground? Um, because the defense knows that they have to keep, like, lock him down to kind of shut down the Chiefs' offense. Yeah, I think I'm just going to go more offensively. Like, we touched on it. Like, their offense hasn't exactly looked stellar this whole season, but they've done enough to usually get the job done. And so, you know, it begs the question of, we talked about the reason why the 49ers could win is because the stars, their playmakers, make plays. Clearly, the 49ers have more playmakers than the Chiefs do. And so, let's say the Chiefs, I mean, the 49ers come out and start this game hot. I don't necessarily trust anybody on the Chiefs offense not named Travis Kelsey to really take over a game. Like, Rasheed Rice has been solid. Do I think he's been a top rookie receiver this year? Absolutely not. And no other receiver play pass catcher on the team at this point has been all that impressive. Like, what, is this supposed to be Kadarius Tony's breakout game? Yeah, whatever. And so I think... If they lose, I think a big part of that is because the 49ers are going to come out hot and they just can't go blow for blow. And it's going to be hard because, I mean, this offense has kind of seen everything and they've showed they can win in a multitude of different ways. I just haven't really seen them get into any shootouts this year. And so because of that, I don't know if this is going to be the game that they're magically going to be able to do so. But all right, let's talk X factors for both teams. Who do you think is the biggest X factor for the 49ers on Sunday? I think the biggest X factor for the 49 I'm going to say Chase Young. Um, I think if you're going to slow down the Chiefs' offense, I know you have the key in to stop the run. But I think if you stop the run and you get them to force the pass the ball, like you can't just rely on Joey Bosa to make plays and rushing the pass. Like you're going to have to get some level of production out of Chase Young. 100%, because since he's gotten to the 49ers, he's been very quiet. Like, it's easy to forget he was even there. Um, I'm going to say Brock Purdy. I think that, obviously, they have the weapons, but we've also seen against some of the better defenses, Brock Purdy kind of fold. Baltimore, he had, what, four picks? I think he had three picks, two or three picks against Cleveland. Um, and, again, the Chiefs' defense has been pretty good this season. And if he kind of gets under pressure and starts making those pro making those turnovers, it could be a long day for the 49ers. Alternatively, though, if Brock Purdy, again, could just do his job and get his receivers the ball because they're going to get open, like just doesn't make any mistakes, I think that this offense can really get out on a run and really start rolling. But it just depends which Brock Purdy are you going to get. All right, what about Chiefs? Who's their biggest X Factor? And to me, I think their biggest X factor is going to be Rasheed Rice. Uh, you mentioned it, and we kind of hinted on it. Like, we expect Travis Kelsey to be Travis Kelsey. He's shown throughout the course of this playoffs that he's still the guy when it comes down to making plays in, um, for the Chiefs. But you're going to need somebody else to make a play, especially in the passing game. And is Rasheed Rice on a be able to still, like, have that momentum that he's had in these other games in the playoffs. For the first time that we've talked X-Factors, this may be the first time I'm ever saying an offensive lineman, but I'm going uh, Chiefs right tackle Jawan Taylor, who is more than likely going to be matched up against Nick Bosa all game long. I mean, one of the 
strengths of Patrick Mahomes and one of the benefits for him is he doesn't often get hit and that's because the offensive line does its job now are they holding a lot Mm, that's for you know y'all to decide but at the end of the day the offensive line keeps him clean and going up against Nick Bosa who is one of the best edge rushers in this league you have to make sure that you are on your P's and Q's. You got to make sure that you are doing your job. And that's why it's so pivotal for Jawan Taylor to do his job. Because if he doesn't, Nick Bosa is going to have a field day. Nick Bosa is going to go crazy. Because Patrick Mahomes can move, but he's not moving faster than Nick Bosa is. Especially going full speed. And so I think that if Jawan Taylor is able to hold up his blocks and give Patrick Mahomes time to throw, they're going to be fine. But if it's a long day where Nick Bosa is just beating his man every freaking passing down, It could get really, really ugly. But all right, last but not least, who do you think comes out on top? And just to add a cherry on top, what is your final score prediction? Oh, this is tough. I'm sorry, I can't go for the Chiefs. I'm going to say 49ers, 24-21. I I don't want to go. Oh, let me let me let me let me pause and move everyone. I'm not going for the Chiefs. Honestly, I don't really care who wins. My team's not in it, so I don't care. I just want to see a good game. But just based on this season and last season and what we've seen many a many a time, I just I have a hard time going against the Chiefs. And so I'm I'm I think Chiefs pull it out. I'm gonna say 27-24. But it wouldn't shock me if I was wrong. Yeah, I think it's just going to be one of those games where it's just it's just going to be people getting punched in the mouth. It's going to be a long game. It's going to be a physical game. It's going to be a hard game. But I think it may come down to like one last drive. And if that's the case, Patrick Mahomes has proven that he can give his team that. But all right, let's talk the offensive, defensive, and rookies that we are watching this weekend. Offensively, I'm watching Isaiah Pacheco. We talked a lot about receivers and pass catchers, but one of the best ways that the um what's it called one of the best ways that the Chiefs can kind of keep this 49ers defense off balance is by running the ball, especially because the 49ers defense has not been all that great defending the run um, over these past few games, especially in the playoffs. And so I think that in order for the Chiefs to kind of get some separation and kind of take pressure off their pass catchers, they got to be able to run the ball, which means they're going to need a big game from Isaiah Pacheco. For me, offensively, uh, I'm going to look at Brock Purdy. I think like you stated earlier, if he if he just does his job and get the receivers the balls when they get open and get them the ball in space, I think that's the key to victory. Uh, defensively, I mentioned him a little bit ago, but I'm watching Nick Bosa. Obviously, Jawan Taylor is going to have a really, really tough job. And Nick Bosa, like I said, he's one of the best players in the league. He just came off of a defensive player of the year nod. So I'm interested to see how he performs. Um, for me, defensively, I'm watching Fred Warner. Uh, we talk, we've talked about a lot about Travis Kelsey and the impact that he can have on the game. I think Fred Warner is one of the better coverage linebackers in the game. How is he going to impact by covering the trail? Uh, next up, rookie I'm watching, obviously, Rasheed Rice. There's really nobody else that, like, came to mind. Same. Um, and yeah, before I move on to NBA, this is funny. So like, I want to like, look at the stats for like how many rushing yards, you know, the 49ers have allowed the past few games. 
And uh, I'm looking at the schedule, and it, it's talking about the Chiefs game, and it says tickets as low as $5,907. What? That's what I'm saying. That's low? That's cheap? I'm going to be poor forever. All right, uh, let's move on, though, to the NBA, um, and let's do our weekly wrap recap, starting off with the Mamba players of the week um out of the eastern conference i'm going demar Derozan. didn't get traded coming off back-to-back 30 plus point games has really just been the offensive spark that the bulls have needed are they gonna go anywhere no nah, probably not but he looks good at least um for me eastern bro this is so hard because i haven't watched any basketball uh eastern i am going to say kobe white kobe's been playing well too uh, my Western Mamba, I'm going Luka Doncic, another guy who I'll get to later in takeaways. But, I mean, again, he's just – he's one of those guys who just everybody knows. Once he has the ball in his hand, there's a chance for him to score or at least a, play a role in a points taking place. And, I mean, he showed that this past week. For me, my Western, I got to go Kawhi Leonard. And then my Rookie Mamba of the week, I'm going Brandon Miller. Um, Just dropped 30-plus earlier this week. I'm trying to remember who he played against. Uh, but yeah, bought out. Give him his props. And plus, we need. To, I didn't need to give a break from saying Wimby or Chet. I'm actually in agreement with you. But all right, let's talk top three takeaways of the week. Uh, for me at number three, Luca is trying to make a second half push for MVP. We're gonna talk about Joel Embiid a bit later, but more than likely, with him expected to miss time with this meniscus injury, it's gonna. Uh, in his MVP case and open up a case for somebody else. And Luka Doncic is one of those guys who he's just such a great player. And I think that he would probably get more MVP consideration if his team performed better. But right now the Mavericks are playing pretty well. They made a solid trade for PJ Washington, which should help them out in the long run. And so I just think that if the Mavericks can like will their way into potentially a top five seed, and Luka can keep playing at such a high level, it would not shock me if he ended up being an MVP finalist. Yeah. For me, my number three uh, is the the Clippers' acquisition of James Harden might have been one of the best moves they made. Um, and, it doesn't have, and it really doesn't have to do with that much to do with James Harden. And the reason I say this is because my Mamba player of the game has been Kawhi Leonard. And two things that two things that we've noticed this season. These are the most games that I think Kawhi Leonard has played in the season so far. And Kawhi Leonard is back to playing both sides of the ball where he's able to score and he's also able to defend. And a lot of it has to be attributed to the fact of bringing in James Harden because He's a guy that can distribute the ball and get everybody the ball in spots where they want to score. But he also can take a little bit of their offensive load off of Kawhi so that he can have energy to defend. And I think, like, you, like you're like you seeing it with this run that the Clippers are going on of, like, hey, this with Kawhi and PG both able to not only have to worry about carrying the load on offense and be the whole offense and can kind of have possessions where they can like rest and then produce more energy for defense this is the like apex of what I think this Clippers team could look like so 
Uh, speaking of the Clippers, uh, it goes into my second takeaway. It may be a four-team race right now in the Western Conference in terms of that number one seed. But as of right now, my money is still on the Nuggets. The Timberwolves have been playing really, really well this season, playing together. The Denver Nuggets are the Denver Nuggets. Like you mentioned, Kawhi Leonard and Co. are really – things really start to seem like they're gelling with the Clippers. And then the Oklahoma City Thunder, I mean, that youth movement has been balling out. But at the end of the day – I just think that the Nuggets are one of those teams where I talked about all the other squads, you know, gelling and having that team chemistry. I just don't think any of them have as much team chemistry as the Nuggets. And I think that as long as they're able to stay healthy down the stretch, I think they're going to be able to find a way to separate themselves in the conference and take home that number one seed. Uh, for me, my number two takeaway is the rich get richer. Uh, this trade deadline, and I know we're going more in, more in depth, but it was a lot of teams that were top of their conference or top of their division, specifically a lot in the East. But you get a team, you get teams like Oklahoma City, you also get teams like the Mavs that made, in my opinion, some really good moves to help bolster their rosters. Um, and I think it's going to like if they're able to get the chemistry and get everything flowing properly. Like, some of these moves that didn't really involve star players to have big impacts come to playoffs. Felt. I mean, because really no stars really got traded. Um, And then number one, it it involves a star. Don't nobody come for me. Um, I know that injuries happen. They're a part of sports in general, not just basketball. But Joel Embiid's inability to stay healthy, I think, is going to hold him back from being considered as great as he could be. Like, yes, he has an MVP award. Props to him. But plenty of players have MVPs, but they never – we don't discuss them as being, like, the greatest or one of the greatest. And with Joel Embiid, he has so many intangibles that could make him the best player in this league damn near every year. But it just seems like time after time after time, for one reason or another, he is off the court, and it's usually due to injuries. And it's frustrating because he clearly has the talent, and, like, he's a reason why people just always look at Philly as one of those teams that could finally break through and potentially go to the finals and maybe even hoist a Larry O'Brien trophy at the end of the year. But because he can't stay healthy, I think when his career is over and we look back on everything and we look back some of the best players of this generation, because he wasn't on the court as consistently as other guys as like a Giannis or a Jokic or maybe even a Jason Tatum or guys of this era, I think that's going to hurt him when we look back at some of the best players of this generation. Uh, my number one is um, the trade deadline even when it's not star late, it's probably the best. Outside of, like, the finals, it's the best time of the year in the NBA. You talking about during the season or just in general? Because low-key, free agency is my favorite part. It's top, I'll say it's, like, top three. Because free agency, then the trade deadline, then finals. Yeah, agreed. Um... Yeah, totally agree. But all right, let's talk more about that trade deadline. Instead of going over, like, every single trade, let's just talk the biggest winners and losers of the deadline. So let's start off on a positive note with the winners. Who's your number three biggest winner of the deadline? My number three biggest winner is Oklahoma City. I'm going to say Patrick Beverly because it seems like every time he gets traded, he's always getting traded to a winning team. He, he never really gets traded to, like, scrub teams. Like, the worst team he's got traded to recently, 
was what? The Bulls? Yeah. But that's just home time, so. Yeah. So, like, either way, like, even if he quote-unquote loses, he's winning. Even though, you know, I'm not a Patrick Beverly fan, but, hey, props to his agent. All right, number two. I am going to say the Mavs, the whole Mavs organization, but specifically, I'm going to say Luka because the addition of um, Daniel Gafford and P.J. Washington, like, you added a pick and roll big, then Luka can just throw the ball up to, and we all know if you put Luka in the pick and roll and he has a lob catching big, it's it's curtains. And now you also add in a guy in P.J. Washington that you could put in at the three, and he's a capable shooter. And, like, he doesn't really need the ball, and he's not going to be a guy that's going to rub people the wrong way like Grant Williams did. Yeah, so um, moving, I actually agree with you. I also have the Mavericks as my number two winner as well for just about everything you said. My number one, and I'm gonna be honest, it's it's like head and shoulders above the others. I'm gonna have to say the Knicks, uh, because when you look at, I know that Mitchell Robinson is hurt, but when you look at what the Knicks did this trade deadline, they got a lot of depth. Like you bring in Bogdanovich, a guy that you can go either, you can go one or two ways with you. You can either put OG Ananobi at the two and start Bogdanovich at the three, which that's what I would do because you're bringing in a guy that's a capable defender. He can knock down shots. He also can put the ball on the foot, on the court and make plays and score. Then you get uh, – who else was it that they got? Alec Burks. And, you, yeah, you bring in Alec Burks where I know that name isn't, like, super attractive. But he's a guy that's a veteran that can still play and can get you, like, I'm not going to say consistently get you a 10 to 12 points, but, like, in a game where you look up and you might need a spark off the bench, Alec Burst can get you 10 to 12 points off the bench. And, like, their bench unit is probably one of the best benches in the NBA right now. Yeah. Um, it's funny you mentioned the Knicks collectively. I was just going to say Alec Burks and Bohan Bogdanovich, like in general, you go from a Pistons who were 7-43, or at least technically while they were on the team, to now you're going to the Knicks who are what, fourth in the Eastern Conference? Life is good. Life is good. Um, but all right, let's talk losers. Um, number three for me is conventional wisdom, more specifically with the Chicago Bulls. We It seems like every year it's become a trend to say the Bulls are going to make a trade. And yet, they still haven't done it. I saw a stat, like, the last uh, trade deadline move that they made was getting Nikola Vucic from, uh, what's it called, Orlando. And yeah. it's crazy to think, because, like, this really felt like the year, like, okay, DeMar is going to get traded. Okay, Zach Levine's going to get traded. Maybe Alex Caruso. Like, something was going to happen, and it didn't. Should something have happened? I think so. But, I mean, the Bulls just show time and time again why the opinions of people outside of that organization do not matter. Because the fans, the pundits, media, they're not the ones making the trades. Yeah. Uh, losers, I'm going to say, I'm going to be real, I'm going to say Grant Williams. Like, 
granted, he he rubbed people the wrong way. He has a perception where he's supposed to be an enforcer, but all he really does is irritate other players. Like, to go from Boston, then to the Mavs, and now you're in Charlotte? Yeah, bro. I feel bad for you. Yeah, it's cold. Um, Number two, loser for me... I had somebody, but now I don't really believe it. Um, I'm going to say Damian Lillard, mainly because not even necessarily like the Bucks didn't do all that much, but like just getting Patrick Beverly. I know that they're teammates now, and so everything should be smoothed over. At the end of the day, if you have this long standing of a beef with somebody, that's not magically just going to go away because y'all happen to play for the same team, especially because he's openly said, like, he's got a whole bunch of other stuff on his mind. And it wouldn't shock me like Pat Bev, like, starts to rub him the wrong way and it leads to, like, even more frustration and turmoil than he's already dealing with. Uh, uh, you think he's going to be – it might not ever get out. You think it's going to be a fight in the locker room between them? Yes. I do too. Because, you know, Pat Beverly is, like, you know, that annoying gnat who just will not go away no matter how many times you swat it. And, like, Dame got a lot of other outside of basketball stuff going on. Like, I'm not going to deal with this. And wh- who going to stop it? Who going to step in? Thanks. Uh, My number two loser is the Indiana Pacers for trading Buddy Hill away. A guy that, granted, what he does and the value that he brings to teams – like I think him going to going to Philly, if you were to do top five winners, he was going to be in my top five. That was going to be one of my top five moves. Oh, absolutely. Because uh, we both. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Nah, what you was going to say? Oh, I was going to say because like we kind of talked about it last week, like with Joel and B potentially being out, like the benefit of them getting in, bringing in somebody else who can kind of help elevate this offense. And Buddy Hill is definitely one of those guys. Yeah, uh, and especially if you're able, like hypothetically, let's say you're able to like. Because I think he's on an expiring deal. If you're able to sign him and bring, and he can stay in Philly, like, just think about a lineup of Tyrese Maxey, Buddy Hill, I'm guessing Kelly Oubre at the three, Tobias Harris at the four, and Joel Embiid at the five. Like, everybody can shoot. Like, that's a, that's a great lineup. But from the Pacer side of it all is – you take away one of your biggest pieces on offense. Like, I know you have Tyrese Halliburton, but the goal of your team is Tyrese drives and he kicks it out. And you now you remove a guy that was a, a 40% three-point shooter in your offense. That, that just doesn't make sense to me. Agree. Uh, number one for me is the Lakers. I understand, like, not I understand not just trading for a deaf piece. I get it, I do. But doing nothing is just crazy to me. And then hoping you might get somebody on the buyout market, maybe Spencer Dinwiddie, and that's supposed to make this team that hovers above a between below average and above average like every week. I just I don't I don't understand not making a move. Especially because this team isn't going to win anything. And you already know you're on borrowed time with LeBron. And AD is in a different way on borrowed time a little bit too because you want to see him like prove that he can be the guy once LeBron inevitably leaves. But just doing absolutely nothing is just so, so silly to me. Yeah, I'm going to be real. 
I think they they ultimately ended up not doing nothing because I think LeBron told them he ain't gonna be back after this season. Which is fair. I mean, in that case, yeah, sure, whatever. But then it's like, but then on on the opposite side of that, it's like if you know LeBron's not coming back, don't you want to make maximize the most time you have with him now? True. But it don't matter. We're not gonna win nothing. So. Yeah. So uh, my number one loser, I'm gonna have to say Dejounte Murray. Um, like he was a guy whose name kept being brought up in every trade rumor imaginable to all different types of teams and at the end of the day to know that like you're still in Atlanta where you're going to have to play not even play second fiddle but being a guy that doesn't really mesh well with the way that like him and Trey Young, they play together because DeJounte needs the ball in his hands too. And I grant, I understand he's become a better three-point shooter being off the ball. Like, bro, you could have been in Miami. You could have been in L.A. Like, to say, like, you still ended up being stuck in uh, Atlanta, like, that has, to, that has to suck. Yeah, I'm actually shocked that, like, he didn't get traded. I thought he was going to be the guy – to get moved and instead what the biggest player who got traded was what Buddy Hill so. mm, Buddy Hill yeah unless you put value in like PJ Washington uh, but yeah not really I mean at this point I would rather cause Buddy Hill's like he's never been like a superstar but he's been more consistent PJ Washington this is the first year where he's really kind of like stepped up yeah. So, but yeah, it's it's what a weird time. Um, but all right, let's go ahead and look at some injury news. Unfortunately, there are a few to talk about. Starting with the Lakers, uh, losing forward Jared Vanderbilt. He's going to be out at least the next three to four weeks, uh, dealing with the foot injury that he suffered against the Celtics. Um, the Knicks forward OG Ananobi is going to be out for at least the next three weeks after having a surgery to remove a loose bone fragment in his elbow. He hopefully he will be back sooner than later, rather than later, which makes their trade acquisitions um, at the deadline look even better, or at least in my opinion. Uh, Bulls guard Zach Levine is set to undergo surgery on his right foot and is going to miss the rest of the season. And then Joel Embiid, as we mentioned a little bit ago, he is set to undergo a procedure to repair his left meniscus. He is expected to be out for at least the next four weeks. Kind of looking at where the Celtics, I mean, not Celtics, the Sixers are now. They're fifth in the Eastern Conference, sitting at 30 and 20. All right, Zach, Joel Embiid's out for possibly the next month. How big of a blow is this to that team? Mm, I don't think it's that big of a blow because the reality of it is, is let's say Joel gets the surgery, he's out, he come, you give, he comes back fully healthy and you have a healthy roster. Like that roster with Joel and B, it don't matter what position you are in the playoffs, you you're gonna make it far. Are you sure about that? They're making it far. Yeah, I mean, who what other like a uh, health of like a team a roster with Tyrese Maxey, Buddy Hill, let's say Kelly Oubre, I think he starts at the three for them. And Tobias Harris and Joel B, like in the East, like the only team that I really see like being a roadblock for them is the Celtics. 
they haven't made it out of the second round since Joel's been there. I get that. But I'm saying, again, like, I'm saying, like, take the current roster with the addition of, like, Buddy Hill. Like, I think, and also, I'll also say this. I, I like Nick Nurse as a coach and making it farther with this roster than I would if it was Doc Rivers. If Doc Rivers was the head coach, I would think differently. I get it. It's just one of those things where, like, I'll believe it when I see it. Just Because, oh, yeah. like, clearly they're talented. Everybody knows. Like, again, Joel Embiid is one of the best players in the NBA. But we've just seen – I've seen this movie before. Like, there's been several 76ers teams that were supposed to go further and didn't. Not that I don't think that they will. It's just right now, until I see it happen, I'm not buying it. And plus, it's going to be that adjustment period. And Joel Embiid does have a knack for, like, once the playoffs start, he's a different player. Not yet. And I think that's why I say, for me, a big part in the way that I'm thinking is the Doc Rivers of it all. It's like, it's historically known that Doc Rivers does not make adjustments, especially when it comes down to the playoffs. And when I think about Nick Nurse, it's been, like that was what he was known for doing. Like when they won their one title in Toronto, he was known for making all types of adjustments and being quick to change things that worked. So that's the reason why I'm a little bit more confident that they can make it regardless of where they are. Like again, if it was Doc Rivers, I'd be like, yeah, they're probably gonna be out in the first, the second round. That's fair. We'll see how it all shakes out. I mean. The playoffs are always different, but like I said, I'll believe it when I see it. Um, but we got some more All-Star Weekend updates. Uh, first off, the three-point contest participants have been announced. We got Damian Lillard, Jalen Brunson, uh, Lori Marketing, Tyrese Halliburton, Malik Beasley. If you had to pick now, who do you think comes out on top? I'm, I'm probably going to go Dame. I'm going to go Dame. I don't want to catch the win. Okay. So... Um, and then uh, the All-Star game, I mean, All-Star Celebrity game has its coaches. Um, Shannon Sharp will be the head coach of one team with his assistants being Peyton Manning and 50 Cent. What a random trio. Um, and he'll be coaching Michael Parsons, Quincy Isaiah, Connor Daly, Annual AA, no, no clue that is, Jewel Lloyd, Kai Sinat, Dylan Wang, Lily Singh, Walker Hayes, and Sir. Um, honestly, I'm not going to watch it, but I'm very interested to see how Michael Parsons does. I'm not watching it. I think he might get like a dunk or two. Kind of similar to one Miles Garrett was in it a couple years ago. Word. Um, and then on the opposite side, it's going to be Stephen A. Smith with assistant coach Aja Wilson and Lil Wayne, and he'll be coaching Jennifer Hudson, Tristan Jazz, Jack Ryan, Meta World Peace, a.k.a. Ron Artest, for those who don't know, A.J. McLean, Kwame Anawuchi, Natasha Cloud, Adam Blackston, C.J. Stroud, and Gianna Marco uh, Tamberry. No clue who that is, but they do have Natasha, Natasha Cloud, who's a baller, and I'm excited to see what C.J. Stroud does. Honestly, anytime an NFL player is on the court, like, everybody talk, everybody in the NFL is like, oh, I can hoop, I can hoop. Can you actually hoop? I want to see you do it. Hold on. You said Jennifer Hudson? Yep. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, again, I'm not watching it. If, if I were to name who I think is going to be MVP, I'm going to say it's either going to be C.J. Stroud or Tristan Jazz because, I mean, he's a 
a YouTuber that's known, a basketball YouTuber. No clue that is. I'm going to say Natasha Cloud because she plays in the WNBA and yeah. Um, next up, we have officially the announcement for the All-Star Reserve teams. Um, and they include as follows. For the Western Conference, we got Cat, Anthony Edwards, um, Anthony Davis, Kawhi Leonard, Devin Booker, Paul George, and Steph Curry. For the Eastern Conference, we got Paolo Bencaro, uh, Julius Randle, Jalen Brunson, Jalen Brown, Donovan Mitchell, Bam Adebayo, and Tyrese Maxey. Now, due to injuries uh, sustained by, um, what's it called, Joel Embiid and Julius Randle, Trey Young and Scotty Barnes will be taking their place on the all-star lineups. Based on who we know is on the team, who do you got winning? The West. Agreed. Um, last thing before we play our game of Believable or Buffoonery, J.J. Reddick kind of talked about the current all-star roster numbers, and he admitted that he felt like the rosters needed to be expanded from 12 players to 15 players, um, and his reasoning was the league has expanded and the talent pool has expanded as well. Do you think that they should move from 12 to 15 players to avoid, quote-unquote, players getting snubbed? Yeah, I mean, yeah, the talent pool has gotten bigger. And to me, it's also like you have 15 players on the actual NBA roster. Why are you cutting it down for an all-star game roster? Agreed. And, I mean, it's not like – Let's be honest, playing time isn't that really big of a deal. And so it's like, what what big difference is it to, like, have three more guys play? I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how it all shakes out. Um, and then, yes, last but not least, I forgot, dunk contest participants. Um, it is going to be Jalen Brown, Mac McClung, who won it last year, Jacob Tobin, and Jamie Jaquez Jr. Another thing I'm probably not going to watch, but I'm going to say Mac McClung repeats as winner. Probably. I'm, I'm going to be honest. I'm probably not watching any of All-Star Weekend. I'm just, after the all the stuff with the Grizzlies, I'm just not in a basketball mood. So, I like, I think the last basketball game I watched is I watched a random Grizzlies versus Heat game like a month ago. And since then, I haven't even looked at a basketball game since. So, I, I've watched more college basketball lately than NBA, but also, I mean, I almost watched the Lakers game last night, but something told me we were going to lose, and I think it would just piss me off to lose that game. One, Kobe's statue gets unveiled. Two, it's 2-8-24, and three, you're wearing the Mamba jerseys. You can't lose in the Mamba jerseys, and they did. But, I mean, they played the Nuggets, so I didn't expect nothing different. But all right, uh, let's play a quick game of Believable or Buffoonery, make our nightly game picks, and get up out of here. Uh, starting with Damian Lillard, who uh, returned to Portland for the first time this past week since being traded. And he talked about, you know, his thoughts on the organization and his feelings about potentially returning, saying, excuse me, I see there being a time where I play for the Blazers, but it won't be right now. So, Believable or Buffoonery, Dame will be a trailblazer again one day. I'm going to say believable. I'm going to say buffoonery just because how much longer does Dame expect to play? And so I I, can't, I don't think he's probably going to pay longer than, what, two or three more years. So I think the next day he'll be a trailblazer is like when they retire his jersey. Um, next up, Draymond Green uh, talked about his p- 
his free agency this past offseason and mentioned that for a split second, he thought about joining the Memphis Grizzlies. Believable or buffoonery, Draymond would have been a good fit in Memphis. I'm going to say believable. Um, he would have provided. Actually, no, I'm not. It's, I'll say this. From the aspect of him being an enforcer slash defensive presence, yes. But Draymond can't shoot. And we need people that can shoot. Yeah. And so it'd be nice and all to have the defensive aspect. But, like, if you ain't helping put up points, especially right now with what's going on with the team, yeah, you ain't doing nobody no favors. Um, so I'd agree with you. I'll say buffoonery as well. All right, last but not least, um, everybody knows that Kobe Bryant and Pau Gasol were a dynamic duo in the 2000s, won back-to-back championships in 2009 and 2010. Jason Tatum, a huge fan of Kobe Bryant, likened his relationship with Chris Porzingis to that of Kobe and Pau, saying Kobe really needed Pau for those last two championships that they won together. Whatever path that I'm on and we're on, KP really feels like the missing piece. So, is it believable or buffoonery that Christoph Porzingis is pal to Jason Tatum's Kobe? I guess. I mean, I don't know. They gotta, I gotta, I gotta win for me to even really think about it. That's fair. I, I would say no, just because, like, the way that these teams are constructed is so different. Like, that Lakers team, it was clearly Kobe. And then it was like a tier, probably two tiers below was Pal, and then maybe a tier after that, Derek Fisher, Ron Artest, so on and so forth. This team, it's like it'd be one thing. I think the com the comparison might be a little bit better if Jalen Brown wasn't there, because then maybe you could be like, okay, yeah, y'all are the duo, but they're not. KP and Jason Tatum aren't the duo on that team. It's him and Jalen Brown. And also, like you said, winning is a very big part of that. So I'm also going to say buffoonery. I don't I don't think so. But whatever motivates you. But all right, let's make some game picks and get up out of here. Starting off with uh, the game tonight between the Atlanta Hawks and the Philadelphia 76ers. I, I think I'm going to go Sixers. Tyrese Maxey has a big game. Uh, Philly. Toronto Raptors versus the Houston Rockets. I'll go Rockets. Rockets. Boston Celtics versus the Washington Wizards. The Celtics should win this game, but they have a tendency to lose games they shouldn't. Celtics. Uh, Charlotte Hornets versus the Milwaukee Bucks. I'm going Bucks. Bucks. Denver Nuggets versus Sacramento Kings. I'm, I'm going to go Nuggets. I'm going to go games. Last but not least, the New Orleans Pelicans versus the Los Angeles Lakers. Hopefully we can redeem ourselves. I'm going Lakers, but I'm not confident in it. I'm pro- this is the type of game I got when you're talking to Lakers. All right, that's our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please be sure to check out the export.net. I repeat the export.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel, entitled the x report ethan before we get up out of here anything you would like to say 49ers do your job that felt that um honestly i got a whole bunch of nothing really um yeah i just want to see a good game 
If you haven't seen Kobe's statue, I highly recommend looking at it. It's pretty dope. Also, um, the, when they did the statue unveiling, Phil Jackson spoke, Derek Fisher spoke, Vanessa Bryant spoke. I watched Phil Jackson's and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I'm not, I don't think I'm ready to watch Vanessa's. But either way, look at the statue. It's dope. It's great. And um, we'll be back next week with more talk of NBA because the football season is going to be over. Which, I'm not going to lie, I'm not ready for the football season to be over. Yeah. But it'll be fun. But, all right, thank you all again so much for listening, and we will see you all next time.